My name is Paul Syracuse. I'm one of the founders of Purple Creek Hat Company. And uh, please watch uh, this pod that I did with Andrew Polk, who's a really good friend of mine and a great country music singer. It's another podcast. Gonna be picking it out. It's another podcast, y'all. Gonna be picking it out. We got Mr. Paul Syracuse in the house today. Yes, and we're gonna be picking it out. Hey, y'all. How you doing, Andrew? Oh, I am good, man. Let me set this guitar down. Well, my name is Andrew Pope, and you're watching Picking It Out or listening, whatever your preference might be. Uh, We got a legend here on the show. We're lucky enough to be graced by his uh, virtual presence today. Uh, man, this guy has been, I always get the question every, every, every time, no matter if they, somebody sees a picture of me or I'm doing a show, I mean, at least one or two people always ask, man, where'd you get that hat? Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that because this guy right here uh, made all of these hats for me and it's kind of an interesting story how i became aware of him uh through a, a old mutual friend of ours so uh from cripple creek hat company paul Syracusa is here how you doing hoss i am doing absolutely fantastic good deal how's how's the weather out there in illinois it is in uh, probably the mid forties. Mm. Uh, might hit fifty today. Fifty two, fifty three. Not summer. Uh, I prefer to walk around without socks on and go sit out on the deck. But I'm, I'm not near that yet. Soon. Yeah. Promise of spring. But at least there's no snow right now up there, right? No. <laughs> got all of February. That's all we got. That's I was shoveling every other day. It was just unbelievable. Oh uh, man! Not now it's all gone. Yeah. See, I mean, we have like a, a significant snow in Alabama. Maybe ever. I don't know. It ain't even what you would call significant, but it is for us because nobody knows how to deal with it, and they'll close the roads, and you know, people start having wrecks and stuff. Um, maybe we have one ever seven, eight years, maybe, um, you would laugh at it probably if you could see what we call, we have ice, you know, we had, we've had some historic ice storms. Um, that's, that happens every decade or so. Um, but yeah, it's tornado season right now. So that's always fun. Yeah. No, I, there went through a period 
after I first got married, we moved up to a town called Baudette, Minnesota, on the Canadian border. That mm. was my mountain man uh, days. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it snowed 26 feet. You know, I mean, oh. it, they didn't even know where to pile the snow. You couldn't see your neighbors across the street, and it would be like average temperature was like minus 20. My below God. Zero. So if you had a hankering for some M&Ms, you better dress up because you weren't going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a hankering for some M&Ms. You, uh, you might not make it back home. Oh, man. I can't all even imagine people, that much. People up there were like ice fishing, and they were asking me, hey, you want to go ice fishing? I go, nah, I don't think so. Snowmobiling? Nah, nah, no, no. God. Uh, you know, I heard a story one time. The songwriter in Nashville, you know, a lot of the Nashville songwriters will get together and they'll go on these little trips and they call them like little riding retreats and they'll go, it could be to the beach somewhere. You know, one of them's got a beach condo. They'll stay there for a week and, you know, five or six of them will go and they'll pair off and, and co-write songs. Sometimes an artist goes and, you know, they'll, they're trying to get on the artist record is what it is. But uh, this guy was in Alaska riding a snowmobile across this frozen uh, pond out there. And the thing gave way. And he fell in and almost drowned and froze to death. He had to go to the hospital and everything. Sorry, I'm burping. I that doctor i had coffee and now i've got a dr pepper so uh yeah it it was i mean he got lucky i couldn't believe when i read that uh man i mean can you imagine well i all that i know is after being rather near frozen to death and bought at minnesota that on saint patrick's day uh when the roads cleared Mm -hmm. we drove fargo north dakota to go find a McDonald's. It was like, <laughs> we risked it all. And then we stayed in the Holiday Inn for overnight. You know, I mean, it was like, uh, had to make sure that the heat didn't die out on you up there because uh, you, you weren't going to stand up there. All that I know is that these people that live in those climates, they are hardy people. And I was looking through the obituaries. They were like living into their 90s. Wow. So I, I, I have no idea. I, I just... We, we sold the house. I lost my rear end on it and said, you know, we got to get out of here. I can't. It, it was great. The fishing is wonderful. If you want to go uh, walleye fishing, that's the place to go. Yeah. But it, not to live in the winter. Big difference. And what time period was that when you were there? Uh, that was uh, 1974. Okay. And uh, that's when I realized that, uh, no, I, that, that's not my life. <laughs> and they had they had black every time you throw the garbage out there'd be like a four hundred pound black bear strutting around and through your backyard and you know, I mean it's like uh they had a moose wandering into town. Uh they had like a forest fire up in Canada that year and drove them all across the Rainy River. And they were wandering all over the place. I mean Oh shit. That's... I mean it it was beautiful. I mean to go fishing there uh in the yeah. summer was great. But uh a lot of people that buy homes up there uh, don't realize just how cold it is mm-hmm. in the wintertime. There's a big difference because it started snowing 
uh, Halloween Eve, and it never stopped. <laughs> just didn't stop. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother kind of cold up there. Uh, I don't know what part of Minnesota that's in, but we did a show a few years ago, and we barely, barely missed getting stuck up there by one night. Actually, the yeah. next morning when we left, we go back down uh, through Iowa to St. Louis, and it had already covered uh, uh, Waseca, Minnesota. Oh, yeah, I know where that's at. That, man, I mean, we got so lucky. I had uh, several friends that were stuck on a tour bus in Minnesota, you know, for a couple of days at least. Well, Bud at Minnesota is right on the Canadian border. Every morning I could see the Canadian flag flapping. You know, I mean, yeah. like we we're right up there. Uh, Rainy River, uh, Canada was across the way. And, uh, yeah, I didn't know what I was thinking. You know, I, I, I have no idea. We left Colorado and we went there and I have no idea. <laughs> uh, that's the lost time. You know, if, if we stayed up in Bud Ed, I, I kind of doubt there'd be any Cripple Creek company. I, I don't think there would have been. I was going to say thank you for not staying. Yeah, no, it was time to go. Uh, and uh, we were ready, more than ready. We got out of there in April, and I never looked back. <laughs> so, so, you know, I've always been, you know, of course, an old soul. But I just hadn't really done things like anybody else. Any, you know, a lot of my peers, I guess, but. I've always been intrigued, <clears throat> excuse me, by these old album covers with these crazy ass, the craziest looking hats, you know, with all kinds of muskrat, uh, I mean, all kinds of crazy wild stuff. Like Bobby Bear had yeah. this hat on Drunk and Crazy and the Down and Dirty record. Uh, me and McDill, I think he had several. And then live, if you go watch live performances of him back then, he wore that hat a lot. Oh, was, yeah. There's different ones. And, and I, I was, I was over at his house one day a few years ago and he had that hat sitting there, one of them. And I said, is that the hat that you wore on, uh, drunk and crazy on the cover? And he said, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I think that was that was one of them. I, maybe it was down and dirty. I said, well, who the hell made that hat or where did you get it? Because I have been on eBay. I've been everywhere trying to find a vintage-looking crazy hat like that, and I can't find one that really I like. And he pulls his cell phone out. And scrolls through there with his thumb and goes to your number. That guy right there in Illinois, call him. And that's all it took, man. You know? And I'm like, wow, that's that was easy. <laughs> well, Willie Nelson uh, told him about us. Uh-huh. Uh, we had made a hat for Willie, and Willie gave him the hat. We had worn it on the LP cover. So that was the connection uh, to Bobby Bear at that time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I knew what to make for Bobby because he 
wanted the edgy, as crazy as I could get. Yeah. And it was pretty easy to do hats for. Uh, like uh, a lot of the entertainers that I've done hats for, uh, they usually bought them in stores. I didn't make them specifically for an LP cover at the time, uh, you know, except for like uh, Smokey and the Bandit, which, uh, uh, you know, we specifically made it for Burke. Uh, you know, my partner, Rick Botelli, went out to California and had met with him. Uh, they had lunch, and basically we had the framework as to what he wanted, uh, rather relating to Florida and Jupiter Beach. So, uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of people that bought hats from me that I never made contact with, uh, you know. But most of the people that, you know, that I did specific work for LPs, they wanted something to go uh, theme for their, their music, uh, what they had, you know, what they had visioned for what the LP would look like. Uh, but there's no doubt about it. Bobby Bear was like the king, you know, with the hats. I mean, his, his music, the hats, everything fit. Yeah. Everything. Uh, is Willie the first person you, you give one of your hats to? Yeah. And, and basically we were, we started out doing hats for uh, rock and roll people, uh, Chicago, uh, beach boys, uh, people like that. Uh, so what happened is, rather, uh, Leon Russell uh, went on tour with Willie, and I was a big Leon Russell fan. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, how that all connected together with what we were doing. Uh, you know, when we first started, uh, a lot of people, there, there was a plan. We just didn't, Cripple Creek just didn't emerge for, you know, out of nowhere. There was a plan involved. And, uh, you know, we wanted to get them on entertainers. So we found stores like North Beach Weather and, and they would sell them directly to the entertainers without actually having any contact with entertainers. Uh, we did work for like uh, Elton John, uh, Ringo Starr picked up a hat in Billy Martin's store in New York. Uh, that's how we kind of started. Mm. Uh, there, there was pushback from the traditional Nashville crowd. Oh, I bet. You know, because uh, when we started, the president of Stetson said that what we were doing was an abomination to the <laughs> cowboy hat. And I'm going, what? I just simply told him, I said, listen, if it weren't for me, you'd still be selling your hats in feed stores, okay? <laughs> we, we gave it prominence. We wound up in Western boutiques, not in feed stores. Uh, that kind of... Uh, yeah, we, we heard it all. You're nuts. You're not going to make it. Yeah. Uh, are you crazy? Nobody's going to pay this much money for a hat. And I went, yeah, it wasn't easy. I mean, I, you know, I, you could give up, you know, when the door slammed and people are laughing at you. But uh, we persisted uh, at what we did. And I think we did a pretty good job of it. Now, Rick Botel, you know, this is this is the thing about magic when you put people together uh, uh my late wife ellen and i were basically leather people we made leather belts and leather vests and, and and things like that so i just started dabbling in hat bands and, and uh messing around with hats for that 
first year in 1975. Uh, Rick Botel is a studio musician, a, a top percussionist. Uh, he worked with Tom Jones and Trini Lopez, and he, he knew the people from Chicago and Eyes of March. And he was he was the Barnum, P.T. Barnum of the company. Uh, we knew that we needed to get them on people uh, for stage presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we didn't invent the hat. We just made it look better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we gave it character. So, uh, but if it weren't for, you know, bring Rick Botel in and, and uh, it, it was like a magical moment when you rather, I don't think Lennon and McCartney would have made it if they made it on, on their own, not, on, not on the level of the Beatles. Did. Right. But there is a spark when you put the right people together at the right time. And, and, and that was the spark uh, that took place. So it, it uh, yeah, we were laughed at a lot, especially by the Stetson crowd. Uh, but I guess we got the last laugh. And I'm from the old school, I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. If, uh, you think I can't. So, uh, yeah, it, it, um, that's how it pretty much came together. But definitely there was a plan. Uh, but by August of 1979, it went crazy. I, I mean, uh, Ralph Lauren uh, pushed the Western thing to uh, department stores, and uh, by August of 1979, it, it went crazy. I mean, we could barely even keep up with any kind of production at all uh, with what we were doing. Uh, so that changed the dynamics. I mean, we were selling you know, high-end leather boutique stores in the, in the very beginning, uh, but by 1979, being a cowboy was like Main Street. Yeah. I mean, they had uh, country music bars in Illinois. I mean, it, it was like uh, when up in Woodstock, where we founded the company, uh, I mean, if you walk around Woodstock, it reminded me of Dodge City. I mean, everybody was wearing cowboy hats. I mean, it was in cowboy boots. And I mean, it, it was just an incredible thing uh, that lasted for about two and a half years. You said you y'all kind of dabble in hat bands, but you started in uh, leather. How did yeah. you? I mean, that's a that is a a trade that just is not really widespread right now. Somebody that really does stuff right. How did you have the idea or the notion to even think about doing that? Well, I had a brother that lived in Boulder, Colorado, and in, in, in the uh, mid sixties and he had a leather store and called the hippy dippy leather store. So I, I kind of learned how to hand tool belts and make leather goods. And, uh, you know, and, and that's how I got interested in that. Uh, but you know, I, I grew up in the fifties watching the riflemen and, uh, gun smoke and paladin. I mean, I, I was like sparked to being a cowboy. I just, that's all I wanted to be was a cowboy. And, uh, you know, and I, I remember when I was a kid in 1959, we went to this dude ranch in Colorado Springs uh, called Paradise Ranch. And, I mean, I, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. You know, the bus fumes, concrete. You know, when we rode the train, the Rock Island out, out to Colorado, when I first saw the mountains, I was like, I think it was like five or six years old. And it, it definitely left an impression on me. And at the dude ranch, there were actually... Cowboys work in the dude ranch. 
mm-hmm. and uh, with their cowboy hats, and each one had their own unique crease. And, and uh, I kind of grew up, you know, loving cowboy hats. Um, so, I mean, it, it starts early, and then it progresses beyond that. Uh, I'm not a very conventional person, um, and uh, I can tell you it's hard being me most of the time. But, you know, I, I, I was always looking for something to do that was really unique. Uh, and, and that's why I landed in, in this particular uh, position. I did make Bobby Bear a Python guitar strap. Mm. Uh, I, I think it was the only one I ever made. Wow. I don't know if he still has it or not. I don't know. I'd love to see it if he does. Yeah, it was an impressive piece. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say Bobby Bear is my number one fan. No doubt about it. Um, and then David and Howard, uh, they were playing in Chicago, and uh, uh, Rick Hotel went and picked him up at the airport and brought him out to Woodstock. And I, I remember David talked me out of my favorite hat. I was wearing every hat I've ever owned. People have offered me more money than and it was hard to turn it down, but David fixed on, fixated on this gray uh, hat with acorn braids on it. Mm. And uh, he talked me out of that hat, and I, I regret it to this day. <laughs> I don't even know what happened to the hat. I mean, it, it could be in the dusty. But. He probably still has it. He's got hats. He's got a hat from every country they've ever visited in their, in their house, and they're, and they're just hanging up around the – they're like the trim, like the crown molding, you know, uh, in his house. It's pretty cool. He's got old arrowheads and all kinds of stuff. He probably still got that hat, I guarantee you. I'm sure he does. I used to, you know, there was a time on country music uh, uh, awards that you'd see people walking on stage with the hats. Yeah. Uh, and I do have some pictures of David from the old country music magazine uh, wearing the cowboy hat. Uh, yeah, it was fun. I mean, actually, it's, it, uh, I met a lot of interesting people uh, along the way. Hoyt Axton, you know, he told me a long time ago that a lot of the people, the country music performers, have their hat makers. And, and I respected that because, I mean, I never tried to sell anybody anything. And I, I never tried to step on anybody's toes. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if he's your hatter, he's your hatter. But I did do hat bands, which I didn't, you know, which I was able to, to do uh, to spice up some of the hats. Uh, the only unfinished business I didn't do, Ray Benson in the Slave at the Wheel. Oh, yeah. I was going to do some work for him. And I, I just, you know, I, to be honest, I love what I do, but I, I was getting kind of burned out towards the end of, of what I was doing. You know, it was just... Uh, I mean, I'd be getting calls from all kinds of entertainers wanting to buy hats for me every day. You know, it was it was just uh, too much. It just burned out. Hmm. I burned out for a while, and then you know the, the the Western thing with the urban cowboy thing came along with John Travolta. I mean, it 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 accelerated the end of the Western cowboy hat in the the, the lifestyle of of the. Western cowboy hat and cowboy image. So it, it pretty much ended it abruptly. And uh, 
I had to figure out what to do at that point because, you know, Cripple Creek, the name, the, the brand was highly recognized at the time. And I, I just didn't want to, I, I didn't see Cripple Creek as being a one-hit wonder. So I decided to uh, go after department stores. I designed hats, but I had other people manufacture them for me in Pennsylvania. And we went after department stores, catalog companies, and I kept the name out there, even though people said, eh, Cripple Creek's too Western to be <laughs> putting in a contemporary hat. And uh, I remember when we had a retail store, I, I got hooked on Magnum P.I. and the colorful Hawaiian shirts and, and uh, the Panama fedoras. And I went, I, I got to get into this somehow. So we kept some of the Western elements in the store. So I, I called up this company called Paradise Fund and said, I want those Hawaiian shirts in my store. Got to have them. So I, I started gradually making the move into fedoras and Panama straws and from cowboy boots to lizard loafers. You know, I mean, it, it was a because, you know, I, I just didn't want to be uh, locked into just doing cowboy hats. I could do anything. Yeah. And. And uh, ironically, a lot of the movies that I worked on, uh, The Natural, uh, The Untouchables, Iron Meat with Jack Nicholson, they were fedoras. You know, they weren't cowboy hats. Uh, the, mm-hmm. la- the last Western cowboy hat was The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Dennis Quaid. Yeah. There's a funny story in that. Uh we went down there. There was a guy by the name of Joe Alisi, and he would throw me a bone once in a while and say, hey, can you do a hat for a movie? Can you do this? Can you do that? And uh, we had a really uh, good relationship, and I appreciated his business. Um, but anyway, I went, we went down to uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, stayed in the Reed Hotel, which had no air conditioning. It was like summer. Here, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I had a hat with a rattlesnake on it, and uh, Dennis Quaid said, I want that hat band on, on my hat. So we had brought down material to just kind of like do minor reconstruction of the hat that he was going to wear in the movie. But he insisted on the rattlesnake. He had the big fangs on it. and going, are you sure you want this? You know, because it was kind of the movie's an action movie. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, the last thing you want to do is reach in those fangs will say hook your your fingers you stop so anyway i stripped my hat down and, and uh, rebuild the hat and uh after we left we found out that he did in fact do the very thing that i was concerned about he got his fingers jammed in with those fangs in his, <laughs> his uh, hand and uh anyway i did find out a lady called me from chattanooga and i asked her did the Reed Hotel ever get air conditioning yet? She says, oh, yeah. <laughs> of course we do. We have air conditioning now. I said, well, you didn't back then. It was hot. Very hot. Oh, I know so, that. Uh, yeah, that was the last Western. And then, you know, we also did hats for like stage plays and uh, advertising uh, for commercials. We even, we even did the hat for the uh, European Marble Man. Really, which is kind of a, kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I tried to get into different areas of of headwear. You know, 
many different kinds of hats. Uh, you mentioned Magnum P.I. The reason I laughed is because that's my favorite show of all time. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I've got every me and my granddaddy. When I grew up, we watched that on CBS every time it was on. And I've got every season on DVD in there, if you can believe that. Yeah, Tom Selleck uh, did remarkable things with the Hawaiian shirt. Well, he, denying it. he, guys like him and Sam Elliott, you know, they can play these different roles, but they just, they, they play them like nobody else would have played. They bring something, they bring their self to that role. Uh, they're so genuine and he can play a villain he can play a uh a good guy he can play a funny part dramatic uh and he's still tom Selleck. he's got that you know um you can tell he's just himself playing a role uh not a lot of actors really have that you know they there's do, a do genuine like quickly the movie quickly that quickly down under yes yeah oh yeah that, that's one of my favorites the shadow riders was good uh, yeah i mean nobody did it better than than he did in the western i i think anyway in any role you know when he played when he played magnum i mean he was great in that you know he had to he, he had this childlike quality and the little thing with John Hillerman, the chemistry the two of them had, I mean, it, it was great, you know. It's, there's never been a show like it. I wish they hadn't rebooted the damn thing. I hadn't watched that one time. But, you know, it's the age of reboots, I guess. So, Well, they were, they were I got hooked on Justified uh, when it came out about the U.S. Marshal and uh, Longmire. Mm-hmm. Both, both characters wearing cowboy hats. I was happy to see it. Uh, didn't make the same. There, there wasn't the same impact, of course. You know, people rushing out to buy cowboy hats. But uh, those are two of my favorites uh, that I did. Now, a lot of people have asked me, and I'll say it here: uh, Where did you come up with the name? Uh, I'm asked that all the time. So basically, I told you about the 1950s experience in Cripple Creek, Colorado. But when I was in college, there was a song called Up on Triple Creek by the band. Oh, yeah. And that name just stuck. You know, in, in when you try to come up with a name for a band or, or whatever, you know, you want a name that you think somebody's already heard of. And we figured Triple Creek was, was a great name for that because uh, we'd ask people, have you ever heard of us? They said, oh, yeah, we heard of you, even though they didn't. But they heard yeah. of the name. Yeah, so right. That's, that's a why good... we chose that name. That's a that's a clever idea to have that. Um, so, as I said, everything had a plan. Now, I, I, I had told you earlier about the, uh, I have a pig story. Yeah, I got to hear your pig story. This is an incredible story. It really is. We we were we would we would sell our hats at the uh, the Western Show uh, in Denver every year in January. So. We would do the show, and then uh, I remember we were watching the local Denver news about them transporting Arnold the pig by airplane to Denver. And somebody, apparently it was uh, 
you know, they were sparing Arnold Pig from being, you know, turned into uh, sausage and back ribs. <laughs> yeah. But this pig was incredibly large. I've, I've never seen anything. It's not like Arnold the pig in Green Acres. Yeah. This is an incredibly large animal. So uh, at that time, we had a friend of ours, John Robinson, says, I know the people that own that bar in Evergreen, uh, Colorado. He said, well, before we were heading out of town, he said, we got to go check out Arnold the pig. You know, we have to check it out. So we drove there, and uh, so we went out on the deck. It was a, a restaurant, a nice restaurant. So we walk out onto the deck, and and it, the sun is going down, and it's kind of and, and Arnold's laying in in a bunch of straw in the corner. It's all shadowy. Uh, so John Robinson insists on seeing just exactly how big Arnold was. So. He gave him a boot with his cowboy boot in his ass. Now, when this Arnold stood up, I mean, the straw blew out. It looked like a bomb went off. <laughs> and it was, uh, my, it was Rick Hotel, uh, my wife Ellen, and myself, and John Robinson. So what happened is Arnold gets up, and he goes after John Robinson to the point that John Robinson had to go over the railing, and he's hanging on with his hands. <laughs> Arnold's up there on the railing, trying to eat his fingers <laughs> at that time. So, you know, and, and we're just standing there going, what the, what the heck just happened? You know, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't think that you needed to kick Arnold in the ass to see just how big he was. Cause yeah. he made quite an impression laying down. So uh, maybe Arnold weighed six, 800 pounds. I mean, he was big. I've My never seen God. anything like it. Uh, so anyway, He's trying to chew John Robinson's fingers when he's hanging on for dear life. And at that time, we didn't know if there was like a 10-foot a drop or a 200-foot drop. And uh, all of a sudden, Arnold turns around. I, you know, I, I was just talking to John Robinson recently. He said, no, no, he, you know, I climbed back over the railing and I'm going, I don't think so. Because I remember I didn't see his fingers anymore on that railing. So Arnold got bored and he turned around and he came after us. Uh, now, I wore cowboy boots, you know, running around with cowboy boots on a wooden deck. You're not going to go very fast. No. So anyway, Arnold decides he's coming after us. So there's these big French doors that lead into the dining area. So we rather, I remember Rick Botel was pushing uh, Ellen and I through the door to get away from Arnold. Because I mean, any anything that's trying to chew your fingers it isn't yeah. going to work out well for you if he catches you. So no. anyway, Rick closes the door. Maybe he didn't lock. All of a sudden, Arnold takes his big old snout and pushes the doors <laughs> open. And all these people are in the restaurant eating. You know, their forks are dropping. It's there's a mad dash to get out of the, the dining area. And the wife was, I don't know, maybe five foot two, five foot four. Uh, she, she wasn't very big. She grabbed Arnold by the ear and turned Arnold around and walked him out on the deck, you know. And, and uh, I, to this day, I mean, it, it, we still laugh about Arnold the pig. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, and I, I did go on YouTube, you know, you figure and trying to find out, but there's nothing on him, just Arnold the pig from Green Acres. But yeah. I have never seen a pig that big ever at that time. Well, yeah. she sh she had something on him, I guess. 
Fair well, they told even Arnold was going to be uh, at that time. He was going to be in a Coors commercial, and, and I, I don't know much about it. I, I assume Arnold was eaten at some point, um, but we were glad to get out of that restaurant. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> they're they kind of upset with uh, uh, John for getting that pig all stirred up. Uh, that's a that, you're right. That was a great story. That was a great pig story. Yeah, I mean. Uh, you had you had to be there <laughs> <laughs> to appreciate it. Oh man, I can't imagine a sixteen hundred pound pig. Just, I mean, well, this they, one in here, man. I mean, she's already grown. She's six months now. She's a Juliana pig, which are supposed to not get. We thought any bigger than sixty, seventy pounds. She's probably already thirty five. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's sweet as she can be, but she's strong. And, and they're smart. They're so intelligent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Arnold the Pig is smart enough to go after John Robbins. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I would say he was, he was up there uh, with intelligence. So, uh, yeah, I've never been around uh, pigs before in my entire life. Really? Horses, yeah. Black Angus cows, yeah. Bulls, but not not a pig, never. So uh, I suppose I, I I could get nightmares thinking about it. <laughs> they're relentless too. I mean, they do not give up, and they're no. very food driven. You could teach a pig to probably dance and sing the alphabet with a treat. I feel like, <laughs> really. I yeah. mean, it's it's crazy. Uh, I didn't know until we started looking all this stuff up um, how smart they were. Did you find Did you find that pig out on the road? Or my wife was driving. Oh, okay. Uh, near our house here, and the thing ran out in the in the road. She almost hit it, Ooh. and it was tiny at the time. So she pulled over and trying to gather it up and. Thought it might have got loose from somebody's house nearby or something. She bent down, you know, got down on its level. It came right up to her. So she picks it up, puts it in her coat or a blanket or something that she had in the car. And uh, it comes in the house and, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. I just got, I'm like, I didn't say a word for about 10 minutes because I didn't, it just, you're sitting there watching TV and then she comes in and, you know a, a pig in the car so my first thought i remember was how's it even fit in the car you know i wasn't thinking a pig that small but then she started talking and then she brought it in and she was tiny but then we start looking up okay well it's got to belong to somebody around here and so she put it on whatever it is uh the local Facebook group thing and nobody ever said nothing. So, uh, we started learning how to raise it and she's in there in the utility room. Now we, I put a little baby gate up and, uh, we had a little wooden one up that just had like the tension, uh, the tension rods, you know, it's kind of like a spring and it just kind of would hold in between the door, uh, opening there. She knocked that down because there was something on top of the washing machine while the washer was on. The washer kind of wobbles. 
and it fell off and it scared her and she barked and then ran through there and <laughs> just barged through there. So I put a, like a permanent one up and uh, she's bent it a little bit, but she hadn't got through it yet. She's sweet as she can be. I mean, she's just, she's getting, she gets bored easy. You know, she'll tear up that room and she uses a litter box. I mean, it's, they're pretty intelligent. Um, well, they, there, there was a craze on pot belly pigs uh, 30 years ago. Everybody was getting them. I had friends of mine that had them. Um, but very intelligent litter boxes. I mean, they're they're very smart. Uh, you talked about Burt Reynolds a while ago. I was going to ask you. Had he, did he personally want one of your hats? Was that a studio decision or did he? It was the record company decision. The record uh, company. What happened is uh, John Robinson was kind of a player in there. He had a retail store in Chicago and uh, he had run into Snuff Garrett at, uh, I think, the store in Water Tower Place and told he told him about his store and he had, uh, Snuff Garrett saw the hats. Uh, in John's store. So we got a phone call from Snuff Garrett. Uh, the thing about this record is uh, nothing was decided upon at that time. They wanted something really unique, and apparently what uh, was in that store attracted Snuff Garrett to what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rick Hotel flew out there after we got, got the phone call, and he had lunch with Snuff and, and Bert. Uh, and they were deciding upon, you know, what kind of hat that Bert wanted. And uh, so we didn't have a lot of time to do it at the time. Because by the time uh, Rick had called me and said that, you know, Bert wants something with the uh, state of Florida on it, uh, gold star on Jupiter Beach, uh, general shape, size. Uh, so I was able to start it. But I didn't have a lot of time to do it because they were actually holding up production of the of the release of the LP because the one I've got over my head, uh, it's just got the paper, not the cardboard wrapped around it. So we had a, you know, I I really had to rush through this uh, at the time. And, uh, you know, at that moment, I didn't think it was my my best work, but everybody loved it. I guess it didn't really make any difference uh, at the time. Um, so a lot of people will ask, oh, no, I saw that hat in the movie, Smoking a Bandit 2. And I said, no, it was in the LP cover because now they've got Smoking the Bandit 1, 2, and 3, and they've got Bert wearing that hat. Mm-hmm. And when Bert died, they were showing it on the news with him wearing that hat. Yeah, I remember that. So it became kind of an icon. Uh, at that time. Uh, and uh, as I said, everybody loved the hat. I've, I've been asked many times, can you make me a hat with Florida on it? And I have not done one. Uh, this is, this hat will always be a one of a kind. Yeah. And I believe it uh, is in the country music hall of fame. Uh, it's been there for a long time. Um, and uh, they pull it in and out of circulation uh, but the hat, I believe, is still there, uh, and it. No, it was a it was a fun hat, you know. At that time, I remember he would be on on Johnny Carson's show or Dinah Shore's show or 
did Cabot's and, and they would go, well, who made the hat? And he never said Crivel Creek. And I'd be going, Ooh! <laughs> yeah. And because everybody would be asking, God, where'd you get that hat? And, and Tim Allen has a TV show, not rather a, a sitcom. And he was talking about this hat, you know, uh, but it's the most ha- famous hat we ever did that nobody knows we made. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to try to change things if I can. Uh, you're talking about Last Man Standing? La- last Man Standing, yes. <clears throat> I was talking about, and, you know, we see movies in his posters of Burt Reynolds. Now, the one good thing that came out of it is I got to, to meet Jerry Reed. Oh, yeah. Jerry Reed, he was an incredible person, very funny. Uh, I did a hat band for for uh, Smoking the Bandit Three. His Burt one wasn't in that one, right? A very nice man, very nice man. Uh, you know, ironically, uh, I did an art. I don't really do art shows, but I decided, eh, I'll do an art show locally in town. And I got my scrapbooks, and I was amazed at how many people didn't know half the people I did hats for in the scrapbooks. And uh, I remember some guy walked up to me and, and uh, started haranguing me because I did a hat for Willie Nelson. Yeah, because of, uh, Willie, you know, I, I was defending Willie's right to be Willie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I said, you're, you're mighty judgy, aren't you, on this? I said, I haven't, I haven't talked to Willie Nelson in like 40 plus years, but I can tell you he's one of the nicest people I ever met. So anyway, after that, I decided I wasn't going to be doing art shows because nobody knows, uh, you know, they did that story locally with Burt Reynolds. I I got one phone call. (laughs) Nobody even, nobody even knows really who he is for the most part. I was surprised. Yeah. That's kind of the, the thing though, you know, I think is really cool about you and about the history. I mean, the, you could go on, I mean, forever in in the stories and who y'all have done hats for, who you've made, you know, just a whole lifetime of this. And nobody does know it. And it's kind of cool for me to get to shed some light on you and what you've done because – there's not a lot out there about you. Um, no, I, I kind of like uh, when when they released the story locally, my neighbors didn't even know who I was. <laughs> I love, going, I love oh, that. I no idea. I love that. Just, check this out. My friend Rick Botel sent me this T-shirt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, the amazing thing about this is that not a penny of money is going to the estate of Burt Reynolds. This is what I tried to avoid. You know, this is where I locked horns with Burt because I I didn't want this hat to be uh, commercialized to the point, you know, where you're slapping it on cheap sunglasses. Exactly. Um, But anyway, I found this ironic, you know, that now they're being sold on the internet, you know, with Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, Um. you know, because it, I'll always consider it an art piece. I, I did do a, for my girlfriend, Audrey's son, he wanted a, a hat with the state of North Carolina on it, and I did it for him. I, that, that means North Carolina's done. 
Florida's done. And those are the only two states. So I got what uh, I've got some more states I could do with. But some states generally, like Colorado's square. I don't mean, I mean, they don't, you know, doesn't really work. It won't work. Florida did at that time. Yeah. So did you ever know Lefty Frizzell or hear of him? Uh, Oh, yeah. I know. I know who he is. I mean, I never met him. Yeah, I, I did a hat for him. A wow. long time ago, and I like going to the record stores and, and looking through their like Johnny Winners. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of them that bought hats that I didn't even know about at that time. Um, so it's uh, oh, I was going to tell you about the desk that the that we're having in this conversation. This this desk is basically my talisman. It possesses great charm because everything I've ever thought of, everything I've ever done creatively has been at this table wow. and I've had it. My parents gave me this table uh, when I got married and I, it's still here and it, it produces everything. It, this is the connections table. I don't know what it is. That's why I kind of call it a, a talisman, a charm, but it makes everything happen at this table. I can't, I'm talking to you from the opposite side of where I normally work because my son didn't think it was a cool idea. They have the refrigerator and the toaster behind me. So <laughs> I'm up against a blank wall. But I can't work anywhere but at, on the other side of that table. Wow. You move this table anywhere else in the house, I couldn't work. Because I have to be able to look out the window here and check the back door window. So, I mean, it's like when I do my work, I, everything's got to be just in the right groove when I'm doing anything. That's, so it's really weird. That's a great, I mean, there's definitely energy, I believe in things like that. Uh, you know, I've talked about songwriting a whole lot and a friend of mine, Mark Narmore, you know, he's from Muscle Shoals. And I used to go out there a lot because you just had a vibe out there and you couldn't explain it, but it was there. And we would always come up with some crazy song. I mean, some of them were just, you know, kind of just songs just to get it off your chest. They're still good songs. Every song we've ever wrote has been good. But I mean, and some of them were just like, oh, man, you know, like Running After Rainbows. You know, we wrote that down there together. I get to ask you some questions because I, I got to know a lot of the, the songwriters and I've always been enamored with the songwriter uh, that me too. That Doc Thomas. I don't know if you ever heard of Doc. Uh, he used to write stuff for Elvis Presley. He told me in the early days, you know, he get paid a hundred dollars for a song for Elvis and yeah. then he lost the rights to that, you know, but uh, um, uh, the guy, uh, Campbell, uh, who wrote uh, Don't Your Babies Grow to Be Cowboys. Uh, Ed uh, Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i more interested, and I was going to ask you the the uh, process of writing a song. And I, I've asked this question to dozens of other uh, songwriters. I mean, do you come up with a line? Like you're sitting out on your porch and you got your guitar and, and something like pops into your head and you go, hmm. And does the music come first or does the lyrics come first? Man, it's, it, I, I don't, 
I don't know because it can happen. Like you said, you can have a line just out of nowhere and you can think, oh, I can hear this with that. And here's a story. Sometimes it can be a story that inspires the lines and the melody. Sometimes you're just sitting around picking on a guitar and you come up with a melody that you hear in your head. You know, I put these chords together naturally and all of a sudden I hear a little melody, a little tune with it. There's no, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason. I think that's what makes it so good is because there's, you know, it's a mystery that God just kind of puts it here and you can grab it if you, if you're paying attention, you can kind of grab it and do something with it. Um, and then before, I mean, I've had ideas driving down the road, a lot of ideas. I, I got this song, uh, going to be gone. <clears throat> I wrote this song when I was driving through, um, from Albuquerque, New Mexico to Flagstaff, Arizona. You know, it's tumbleweeds blowing across the road. It's like just dry desert out there. Not even a gas station for about 85 miles or whatever. So it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie. And I just kind of got this little this little uh, scene in my head. Don't know where it came from. And then the words were just there. And I kind of I kind of tweaked them a little bit, uh, you know, after I and sometimes I'll do that. That's just the craftsmanship thing that I've learned. Um, you kind of just, you know, maybe you'll hear it back and then you'll think, well, I think this is better. Like that'll inspire something better for this one part or to change this or whatever. But a lot of times I just leave it like it comes out. Uh, you know, people do it all different ways, but, uh, there's actually a, a video that I did at Chicago music exchange a few years ago and I'm playing a 64 D 18 Martin guitar. They let me pick out any guitar in the store and they have a lot of vintage guitars so this is like a 1964. I mean, it's immaculate. I tuned down the E string to open D, and I've got that melody in my head. I've never even sang it fully all the way through, you know, before. But it's what that guitar wanted to play at that time. And it's it turned out pretty good. Um, it's... It's pretty good. I'm wearing your hat in the video, by the way, too. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I'll send you a link. Uh, and, and thank you very much. When um, you do the music, do you create like a hook? Every song's got a hook. Either it's a drum beat, uh, it's a chord, and a guitar, but it's got a hook to grab you, to pull you in, to, to make you really absorb the lyrics uh, the beginning part of the song, uh, you basically do that as well. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, the hook is what'll come first sometimes. And then sometimes you don't find it until the very end of the process. It's, 
for me, it's just all different ways. You know, like I could sit here right now. Uh, I could, you know, one, I could go through my phone through the notepad. I've got just random notes. You know, it may be just one line. It may be an idea. It may be whatever. And then I can go in the voice memos in my phone where I've just kind of hit record and played a melody or sang it. And most people would hear that and be like, what? I mean, this guy goes from this to this to this, and there's no organization. And that's just my brain on in my phone there. Uh, but I am a very organized person, and I have it in folders. <laughs> so I know where to find it if I need well, it. Well, who were your great inspirations when you got into country music? I mean, the, the the people that kind of like, you know, I mean, I was drawn in by the old Westerns on TV. I mean, what was the thing that you decided one day that this is really what I want to do? Uh, man, probably Hank Williams Jr. I'm a huge fan and uh, admirer of him and his entire just the whole Williams family, but him in specific, I think because my mother loved his records and she bought every eight track and then cassette tape and then CD that that he did. And so I was listening to it with her all the time. That's probably where I got that from. And then the Monday night football thing, I would see him on there and, and I was young and I guess I was just drawn to that. Um, but uh, definitely, uh, gosh, there's so many. He's probably the top one. Waylon, uh, especially when I got older. I really yeah, respected yeah, Waylon a lot more. He's uh, another great. Willie Nelson. Yes. Uh, Haggard. You know, Johnny Cash. Uh, man, I mean. There's so many Alabama because I don't <clears throat> I don't know if I think the whole doing this for a living thing is is that part of it was what kind of made it for me like hey these guys are from right up the road from where I live like 15 minutes away they're freaking star superstars I've never set out to be a star. I would love to play my music routinely, sell tickets, and make a living. I don't care about awards and award shows and the politic part of it. Um, if if my songs can help somebody through something like other people's songs have helped me in my life, I'm I'm successful, you know. Well, the one thing that songwriters have all agreed on over the years that I, the ones that I've known is always write about the things you know. Yeah. And uh, things will work out pretty well for you in the end. I agree fully with that. There, there's a lot of people now that's writing about what they don't know, what they wish they knew, um, or what their persona, you know, that they've painted, um, the label has painted for them to give them this image or, or whatever it might be, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on. And all you got to do is turn the damn radio on for five seconds to any top 20 country station in the world. 
to hear that. I'm not listening to that. I'm listening to, we've got a great um, station out of Gunnersville, Alabama, 95.9 WTWX. That's usually what I listen to. There's also one in Chattanooga that you mentioned, because Chattanooga is only about 50 minutes from my house. Oh, okay. Um, I can't remember the call letters, but it's uh, 97.3. That's what I'm listening to the majority of the time. Um, I don't, I don't, I've got friends in the business that are doing the new stuff. Um, I'm in the independent circuit. Uh, A lot of those independent guys I really like, you know. Where do you see country music going now? I mean, it's rather, now the guys that Bobby Bear, they signed, they would, and Willie Nelson, they would sign record contracts and they had to produce and fulfill, you know, five records in the course of the contract. And they were, you know, of course, supported. Uh, the record companies would support uh, the artist. Uh, no. I mean, where's the industry at now? Where Where is it going? It Does it still exist, the same process 35, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, signing up with a record company? Is it How has that changed? I think that... Uh you know, the record companies are still out there. You know, they've all merged together and they've partnered and they're, they're, they're a condensed version now. Um, I don't think the labels, the major labels have as much of an impact now on what people listen to. Um, probably mainly because of the internet. When they finally got the internet figured out, which they're still trying to figure out, you know, uh, the music part of it to how to get everybody paid. Um, but they're working on that, but that right there, I mean, even for myself, it opened a lot of doors. Now you still got to get out there enough to where people have a chance to even look at you or listen to you. That's a challenge because it takes money. Um, as far as the industry, the recording industry, uh, as a whole, I think is bigger than it's ever been. I mean, just because I'm sitting here right here in my office at home doing this, recording this, I could do, I could be recording an album, you know, uh, labels just don't have, um, they, they can't, they can't sell an artist now on the idea that, Hey, we're going to make you or break you. Well, no, I can go out here and I've built a following, you know, these guys like uh, Cody Jinks from Texas, he built a following. Once you have a following built, you can hire your own team, you know, hire a manager, hire a publicist, a booking agent. And I mean, you're, you're doing just, he just sold out Red Rocks a few, couple of years ago. It's amazing. Place to, uh, have... Well, you know, in, I remember uh, they used to call it country rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the birds, uh, they did Sweetheart of the Rodeo, and they were like moving in that direction. Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman. And uh, I got kind of, uh, you know, I, I remember seeing the Flying Burrito Brothers. Uh, I, I love their music. Flying Brado Brothers. I mean, it was like some of it was just incredible stuff. Yeah. And uh, and then the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Oh, yeah. 
uh, came into town. Uh, they were excellent recording artists. Uh, but it was starting to make a move, you know, from like just country music, especially in Colorado, you know, and, and uh, Michael Murphy, uh, he was touring around the area. I got to see a lot of concerts in Colorado at that time. So it was like a kind of a changeover uh, into, and then of course the Eagles came along and uh, oh yeah, assessed at what they did. Um, is the uh, I, I think maybe even back in that day, if you got if you're lucky enough to get signed up by an elk, rather by a record company, there were a lot of guys out there like Guy Clark. Mm-hmm. They get the same uh, kind of deal. Most of those guys uh, signed up with private label companies, smaller. Yeah, uh, smaller operations. I mean, Guy Clark was incredible. He was. You know, so I mean, it 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 wasn't. It probably wasn't any more easier back then uh, to really you know break on through uh, than it is today. Maybe it's even easier today because you could, you know, you can reach more people on the internet. Yeah, than you'd ever be able to reach them on a, in, in a bus traveling all over the country to get your name out there. Yeah, you know, like Blaze Foley, uh, Guy Clark, um, uh, Christofferson, I thought was always kind of the, of course, amazing songwriter. I mean, just, and just a deep person, just real, he's a real person. He's not going to put on an act, you know, he's just who he is. He knows he plays guitar out of tune half the time and he can't, you know, he sings out of time or out of key. It doesn't really matter. Uh, he, he kind of got into the movie thing, but he, I think would have been fine not ever being a star. Bobby Bear has told me more than once he wanted to be a star. He set out to be a star. And I said, well, uh, I don't have that mindset. I mean, I, I just, I don't want the attention of, oh, you're great. You're wonderful by everybody. You know, just don't give me the bullshit. Just, I hope, I hope my music touches somebody's life. Like there's been times in my life, man, music, I've said this over and over. Music has been the only thing that would heal me or make me laugh or make me sad i mean there's something spiritual about music and especially when you're creating it yourself it's it's like it's a weird feeling it's it's even more spiritual well it it, from me sitting on the other side of music it's got to be awesome to be able to sit down there Take an idea. As I said, I'm, I'm into the creative process. I mean, eventually, through the creative process, your record will be, the song will be made. But it's the creative process that, that always intrigued me most uh, about how you approached it in the studio uh, and bringing in other musicians mm-hmm. to achieve, you know, what you want uh, as a finished product. Yeah. Uh, that The creative part is... It's always been more interesting to me personally. Well, me uh, too. You know, and 
And uh, that's where the great stories are. You know, I, I had, I was trying to think of a song that I liked that included the hat, a hat in it. Uh, Lyle Lovett does a song. Uh, uh, Don't touch my hat. <laughs> it's one of the funniest songs I, I've ever heard. Unfortunately, it mentions John Stetson or Stetson hats in it. That way. Oh, yeah. But it is one of like the hat is more important than his woman. You know what I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that. I don't think I have to look that up. Yeah, look it up. It's one of it's one of the funniest. Don't touch the song is "Don't Touch My Hat." You know, and uh, <laughs> I found it again, and I went, "God, I I love this song. I, I've heard it before, but you know, it was just uh, blew my mind." Now, you know, I mean, I I got a chance to meet a lot of people that were never going to wear cowboy hats. It was just more of an impassing thing. I, I really like Ronnie Millsap. Uh, Charlie Rich, he was never going to wear a cowboy hat. I mean, he had that, that pompadour going on. And, you know, I mean, he just knew that they were never going to wear a hat, ever, yeah. ever. So, you know, but it was mainly, it was like kind of like taking a trip, like George Jones. Yeah, he never really wore a cowboy hat. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it was fun to meet all these people. Sure. Uh, along the way uh, to get kind of a, an idea. Uh, I did there. Don Williams. I love Don you know Williams. How he got that hat? That came from the movie uh, uh, True Grit. Really? Yes. Uh, Glenn Campbell had given him that hat. That's what I was told. Because hmm. I had to replicate that hat for him through his management. Because mm-hmm. it had it even had a thumbprint on it. You know that I had to duplicate. You know from like grabbing the hat and having your thumbprint on it. Uh huh. But I believe that that's how the story went with that hat, with Don Williams. I didn't know that. He's a character. Man, I love him. What a talent. He was so talented. Just And, and Jerry, Jeff Walker. Oh, yeah, I love Jerry Jeff, too. The New Jersey guy. You know, I mean, he uh, up against the wall, you read that yeah. mother. Yeah, is still going to be my favorite song of all time. It, it's it's a barroom favorite too. I've sang that song in a bunch of bars. I, I, I love that. So, what what are your plans now? I mean, pretty soon. I just got my vaccine shot, and I'll be getting my booster about another three weeks from now. And you know, I, I'm hoping for somewhat return to normal. Because I, I have to tell you, when when the lights went out last March, it was like going, "What the hell am I going to do now?" Mm-hmm. You know, I I because Back then, nobody knew for sure, you know, you know, whether this was the countdown yeah. at all. And, and uh, I didn't waste any time. I mean, I, I kept making hats and I kept uh, designing leather bracelets again. And I, I mean, I kept working. I kept reading tons of books uh, again. Uh, it kind of scares me when I, I read a book, you know, that I've been read three years ago. And it's like I've never read it before. And I'm going... God, where, where have I been? You know, I mean, oh God, this is new to me. You know, so it's kind of great. I haven't bought a book in like, I don't know. Just keep reading the same two hundred of them. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like reading for the first time. But I mean, were you? We obviously you continued to write. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, 
are, are you making plans about going back on the road uh, in the immediate future? Or, I mean, what are, what are your plans towards that? Uh, well, the thing is, I, I, of course, I miss getting to play for people. Um, I haven't, I haven't done a lot of the virtual events. I've had a lot of friends that went there because that's what they've got to do right now to make their living. Uh, I just feel weird about it, man, because it's like I would be sitting here or I'd be sitting in there with my guitar, which I do sometimes. I sit around and just play around the house, you know, but I would feel weird asking people for money to buy a ticket to see me, you know, like, I don't know. It's just a weird, a different thing to me. It's, it's, it's working because people don't have a choice right now. Um, I would definitely like to get back in front of people because you feel that energy. There's nothing like that. Um, and, and the whole road thing, I mean, it's, it's but, rough, but, but it's feel bad about asking people, your fans, especially to help you uh, at this time, because, you know, a lot of people that buy my hats and buy my hats forever, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're helping me out. I mean, I, I need to earn a living uh, with what I do. And, you know, and uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't think there is. You know, I mean, uh, if they're helping you out, it keeps you, uh, the people that support me, keep me where I need to be, you know, yeah. where I stay out and do that, you know, and, and I, I don't look at it. I never look at it as, as uh, charity. It, it, they're friends helping you at, at a time that, you know, you, you really need to, you know, and I, I've never had a problem with that, uh, you know, because uh, that's what fans do, you know, yeah. people don't like what you do. I see, so, I, I see that side of it. It's just a thing where, you know, I don't know. I, I'm old school about the concert thing. I mean, yeah, may, maybe I'll try it. Uh, you know, I, well, you miss the energy of the audience and oh, you're performing because yeah. it makes a difference. It does you know, on how you perform is, you know, and how the audience responds to it. And and that part I do get. Yeah, it would be kind of like I don't know if I'd be given, uh, you know. Because I'm not getting that energy back. I'm just sitting in my comfortable setting in my element at home, you know, uh, just doing this. And I, I would feel like that's not what you'd be getting on stage if you were to go see me play somewhere. But I, I get it, you know, and I'm sure that I'm sure that some people would, you know, uh, buy a ticket for something like that, maybe take. I'm not big on taking requests, really, but uh, take just a couple of requests and just kind of talk in between. You know, maybe, maybe I'll look into into some of that. Yeah, and and I would imagine by summer you can you can still do outdoor venues. Uh, they they probably won't be indoor. Uh, you know, people spread out a bit. Uh, you know, you should be able to do that. Yeah, the uh, uh, nobody's calling right now, so. Uh, I'm, I'm more than willing, you know, like I said, I miss it, but hopefully they'll call. Is Willie still doing, well, Willie obviously didn't do his, uh, his picnic and performances on stage. I probably not last year. I don't know what his plans are for this year. Um, he just put out a record 
of Sinatra song. Yeah. It's I, amazing. I about that. Buddy Cannon well, co-produced that. It, it's, man, <laughs> Willie's just, uh, he always has been. I can only imagine how he felt, you know, in, in Nashville back in the the 60s, just so out of place. You know, he's talked a lot about it, but I'm glad that he finally got in his spot to where he 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 carved it out himself, didn't he? I mean, he was. Did you did you catch Ken Burns on country oh, yes, music? I did. That was really good. <clears throat> uh, story about Willie passing out in the middle of the street in front of Tootsie's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wish the car ran him over because he was that unhappy uh, being there. Yep. And. and- I didn't know Nashville had a sound, you know, I mean, it was like a formulated sound, which I would have been against what Willie Nelson was really all about. Yeah. He, he probably felt like a animal in a zoo. Probably like, you know, he, he yeah. just, but man, when he moved back to Texas and they did that whole Austin thing and then he got Waylon down there. I mean, when they got back, they had the cloud then. They didn't have to use this producer. They didn't have to use these musicians. You know, they were great musicians, I'm sure. But Waylon used his own band, and Willie used his own band, and it was something different. It was something nobody had really heard. I mean, the whole the whole uh, uh, Redheaded Stranger record is sounds like demos. And Mickey Raphael, which plays harmonica for for oh, Willie, yeah, of course, he's fantastic. He said that some of those songs they hadn't even heard at the time. They just sat around in a circle and set the mics up and just played around Willie and followed him, and that's what you hear on the record. And Willie was bold enough to say this is it so put it out or don't put it out you know that that inspires me to be true to my own thing it, that's why i think i'm the way i am because of guys like that uh, loretta lynn you know uh it would have been so hard to be a woman in any kind of entertainment aspect of the business at all but for the music business my god you know i'd love to talk to dolly about all the the shit that she's oh she went through a lot i mean but she stood up to every one of them you know and man smart smart woman very talented songwriter underrated songwriter and singer the uh the dixie chicks blew me away when i first heard and i'm kind of glad that they're getting back on track again uh very talented musicians uh, I like Dottie West. I met her a long time ago uh, when she was teaming up with Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Uh, it, I never really did any hats except for Emmy Lou Harris uh, in, in the country music thing. I did hats for, for Ann Margaret and uh, Barbara Streisand, but Emmy Lou Harris was my first uh, woman to, to, that I did a hat for uh, that performed on stage. 
I love so, her. But is her, who's your favorite? Who do you, who would be your favorite uh, female uh, country music singer? Um, my, I like Amy Lou a lot, but I love Loretta Lynn. Um, you know, I love the Judds later on. Their stuff was great. Uh, there's so many. Um, gosh, Kathy Matea. I mean, uh, any of those <clears throat> kind of 80s, 90s females were great. But Tammy Wynette, you know, Connie Smith. I mean, it just, there's so many. You know, who I thought was pretty extraordinary is, uh, and I don't know if she's in the same area, but Katie Lang, I love her music. Yeah, she was always really unique. I mean, really beautiful uh, melodies. And, and KT Oslin was something else. And Jesse Coulter is at the top of my list. Yeah. But just a very art, artistic uh, thinking person. Yeah, Shooter Jennings is a really good friend of mine. And did you ever did you ever meet Ronnie Stoneman? No. Yeehaw. No. Uh, we we put on country music jamborees on the square in Woodstock. And uh Bobby Bear came out with his bus uh because he was playing at the County County Fair. They we had that. I mean, Bobby was inside signing autographs. I mean, the store was pretty big. It was an old uh turn of the century, hardwood floors, wood beams. I mean, it was so packed inside that they could have walked off of the store and I couldn't have stopped it. You know, I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, but I remember uh, one year we got Ronnie Stoneman and Kenny Price from Hee Haw. Yeah. Uh, we had the Hee Haw crowd uh, over there. Uh, I they, The town elders insisted on the... Uh, I was trying to get Lacey J. Dalton, Lacey Dalton and uh, Ricky Skaggs because they were like up and coming performers and uh, settled on uh, the Kingston Trio. And I'm going, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Kingston Trio over those two? Come on, give me a break. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, the Kingston Trail were good, don't get me wrong, but we were doing a country music thing, you know, so, uh, and uh, I just didn't think Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley was the appropriate song at that time, but, uh, yeah, the uh, Ronnie Stoneman is an incredible, the Stoneman sisters, they're incredible guitarists. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's really funny, it, I haven't, I haven't talked or met with these people that that I've gone that I initially have for all these years. You know, it's I mean it's been a long time. I feel bad. I haven't stayed in touch with Bobby and I should have. And I, I probably will. But I mean I made him a hat uh, six, seven years ago. But I, I haven't been in touch. It, it's I, I feel, you know, that I probably should, but there's only so much time in the day yeah. uh, to keep doing what I'm doing. So what are your, um, are you working on another CD now or? Um, not really. There were plans before COVID hit, uh, to start looking into some of that. I've got another one written. I know what I want to do. 
but the uh, logistics of everything right now is going to have to be kind of put on hold. But I did think about doing like we was talking about. I thought about doing like an acoustic album. That'd be good. Um, just here at the house. I don't know if anybody be into that or not, but um, they could throw that out. You know, it wouldn't cost that much. So, well, you know, I mean, you should do do it. Yeah. Um, well, other people have told me the same thing. I may I may do it. Um, I just have to have the time. Uh, right now in my family, there's some things going on, and uh, there I can't really dedicate a ton of time to any studio stuff. But um, I, I am really considering it more and more because I wrote all these little like crazy quarantine type songs. Uh, just you know, where you can kind of tell that you had to get it out. So you didn't go crazy? Oh, no. I, I, I mean, I I sent you, I told you I wanted to be a poet. And then everybody would go, you can earn a living doing that? And they said the same thing about hats. You can earn a living doing that? Yeah. I said, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I like writing poetry. And I, I do like writing lyrics, but my beginnings were mainly rock and roll lyrics which I've got tons of stuff. And, and the thing that I sent you is very, very rough. I wrote that, you know, during the coronavirus, but I, I am seriously sitting down. I, I I'm, I'm waiting for a song about cripple Creek, but not, not the hat company, cripple Creek, the town mm-hmm. man that lost his hat when he was getting away from robbing the bank mm-hmm. and he left the girl behind. See, yeah, that's that, a good story, Paul. That's a good story. The song, not not the name, Purple Pig Hat Company. Three different parts. Yeah. The banjo player that was accepting money where they were throwing in, and it was hat, and now he's running out of town, and the lead's flying. <laughs> yeah. That's so, good. You know, that that's the if that would be the lyrics that I would work on. Just you know, it would be fun to finally have the Cripple Creek song about it. Not up on Cripple Creek. Yeah. Triple Creek song. Well, that's interesting. The, the great robbery, the bank robbery. Because, I, I mean, I'll get up in the middle of the night, and, or <laughs> when you get older, you make more trips to the bathroom in the middle of the night. But, you know, an idea pops in my head, and i got it written down. I've got tons of stuff written down. Yeah. Little phrases uh, that, you know, I would, I would copy, and, uh, you know, like I, I did a hat called uh, Feeling Wolfy, you know, for an account in Santa Fe. Oh, I do want to mention where uh, I sell my, my hats at because these are like fine people. But yeah, I did a hat do. name on my hat something. Like the hat you got from me is called the O-Ray. It's named after the uh, uh, the Ute chief in Colorado. So, I mean, there's a reason for everything I name. I've got a hat that I'll be doing soon called the Blackjack Ketchup about the bank robber from New Mexico that was caught there. He, he used to rob trains, or he robbed one. Uh, and then he was summarily hung afterwards. But, you know, I, I, I put a lot of time and energy into picking names. So I, I did this uh, hat called Feeling Wolfy. And I was thinking, gee, Feeling Wolfy on a Saturday night, you know, and, and not making references towards werewolves, but, 
yeah, it, 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 it would have that approach about, you know, going out on the night and rather going out on the town and going into a, yeah. into a bar on a Saturday night feeling wolfy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like to write that, that really wouldn't constitute really a poem <laughs> at all. Not really. Oh, you could. Not in the James Joyce. But, you, you know, it was just, I get these ideas that pop into my head along with uh, hats I want to do. Yeah. So they are. It's a lot of, you know, I do the same thing. I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and I have to write something down. You know, it's it's the same. It's very, it's a, it's a, uh, if your brain is creatively thinking over, <laughs> you can either logically think about something or you can creatively think about it, I feel like, because if you're creative, when you're being creative, all logic just goes out the damn window, I feel like, you know. Yeah, I mean. Oh, I know I got to get up at four, but you know, here it is two forty-five in the morning, and I got this idea. That's number one right now. <laughs> People don't get that. But it's true. And, and words mean something. Just, just uh, a line in the lyrics mean a lot. You know, oh yeah. It's, it's like, uh, you know, as I as I was telling you, I mean, I've listened to your CD quite a bit because uh, you know I've got everything ranging from. Uh, Sergio Mendez from Brazil 66 through Steely Dan to your music to uh, the Beach Boys, Nirvana. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been very eclectic as far as listening to music all my life. Yeah. I, I listened last night running uh, after Rainbows and even Rambos Get the Groups. I could identify with the words in the, those two songs. Uh, you know, I felt a connection to them. And I, you know, and, and after you keep listening to it, you can pick that up out of there. What was the process for those two songs in particular? Uh, well, I remember even Rambler's Get the Blues was just kind of, just kind of there. And I had this idea of singing, of Willie singing with me on it and having Mickey Raphael come in and do a harmonica part. And then having Willie play trigger and just kind of barely being any percussion in it, but a little bit kind of fall in and out because it's kind of like a Willie sound, you know, um, and Willie was sick at the time and he wasn't able to do it, but I did talk to him about it. And then Mickey came in and he did his part and, and we left it like it was, but writing it was, uh, I had, it, it's, it's almost like it had its own groove in my brain uh, as I was writing it. Uh, Running After Rainbows was a um, came out of a personal story, I mean, a personal experience of mine and an ex. Um, but I basically had I had the melody and the um, kind of the 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 mood of it and some of the some of the words a lot of the words i think the first i think the first verse um and the chorus some of the chorus we might have kind of tweaked a little bit later but i had the first verse i think and i just had a writing appointment schedule with mark narmore who i was talking about earlier in uh, muscle shoals and we we I said, hey, I was thinking about this little thing the other day and 
just threw it out there and we finished it like that day. But it all comes from a, for me, everything comes from me. Um, I, I don't try to, now, I mean, I, I wrote stuff, you know, uh, John Schneider is a, is a friend. He just did a movie, um, stand on it. And it's actually like a tribute to Smokey and the Bandit. It's not a tribute. Really. Well, maybe it is a tribute, but it's like a a spoof almost. Um, but it's in honor of Smokey and the Bandit, Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds, because they were both friends of his. Um, <clears throat> once I found out about this, I sent him a text and I said, hey, can you send me a copy of the script for this movie because I wanted to know character names. I wanted to know uh, details about the car he was using, whatever, because I just felt like I needed to write something for that movie. So <clears throat> we went back and forth a little bit and they made some changes, you know, in the movie, but he sent me all that stuff and I wrote this song, Hall in hell and by you bound. And it's about it's about his character. Uh and the whole the whole thing. So I haven't experienced that, you know. It's about a it's about a uh somebody else, but I feel like I can do without faking it, you know what I mean? Like it's not fake, but it's it's just a story. You're just telling a story yeah. fr- from that character's perspective. Um, and I, I had never done anything quite like that. I didn't want it to sound cheesy. I kept telling my wife, I said, you know, I just, I'm afraid this is going to sound cheesy and just because when you start adding, you know, details like that, um, you run the risk of that. I feel like, especially with character names and with, you know, and then I wanted, I thought, well, okay, I want this melody. That's kind of a tribute to Jerry Reed and Waylon both because Waylon, you know, of course is the balladeer from the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. And then Jerry Reed had Eastbound and down, which most people, when you mention Smokey and the bandit, First thing after Burt Reynolds, they think of is Eastbound and Down. And it kind of set the whole scene for the movie. And I wanted something like that. And I think I accomplished it. Uh, It took me about a month. I finished it. I recorded a little thing on my phone, a little work tape, and I sent it to John. He loved it. And so now it's in the movie and it's on the CD coming out. So I'm honored to have that. The movie's out now. Uh, I think you have to go to... uh, You can go to his Facebook page if you just type in John Schneider on Facebook. He's got it on there, I think. John Schneider at all. I I did some hats for the TV show, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, we would get calls to add on. Uh, by some hats. They they weren't fancy hats or anything like that. Uh, but I've never met him. Um, then, of course, you know, the, they had another 
TV show, Simon and Simon. Yeah, Gerald McRaney. Uh, yeah. Uh, I love him. Yeah. Great actor. Yeah, he's a great actor. Um, you know, I even did a hat for uh, uh, Dennis Weaver. Oh, really? Gunsmoke? Yeah. He was a nice guy, too. Uh, I got a chance to meet a lot of really nice people. Steve Canelli on Dallas. Dallas, yeah. Ray, play Ray Krebs. Yep. Uh, I've heard he was a nice guy. I want to get him on the podcast. I think he'd be he'd be I, into uh, it. I haven't. It's really, you know, it, when you're meeting a whole bunch of people, it's kind of like, uh, uh, did you ever see the movie Little Big Man? Uh, Dennis Hoffman. If you get a Dennis chance in, in, to see the movie, it's a great movie. It's, it, it was based on a best-selling book, and I forgot the name of the author. But uh, what Little Big Man does is he's walking through history. You're, you're meeting all these. He's meeting all these people on the way from George Armstrong Custer to Wild Bill Hickok. Uh, he is with a traveling show, uh, you know, selling medicine to people. I mean, it's it's a wonderful western. Wow. I have to watch it. That's what it was like for for me. It was like I got a chance to meet so many people, but never got the chance to make uh, friendships out of it. It was it was like ships passing through the night. Yeah, uh, getting into the stage because you know Bill Gallon's last time you heard from Willie. Well, yeah, it's been a long time. I mean, a real long time. I don't even know if he remembers me. I doubt it. I bet he does. I don't know. I bet he does. But. But the that, that's the problem. I mean, Jerry Reed was so much fun to talk to over the phone. I mean, he would have been a kick to be a really good friend with him, you know. And 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 uh, but but I never really got a chance, you know, except for Bobby and uh, there were some others too along the way where you know I got to know uh, fairly well along the way. But unfortunately, it was just like a, it was like a little big man. I was taking a historical trip. Yeah. time uh, with people. And I, I mean, I even got a chance to talk to some of the old wardrobe people that made the hats for the, the, the TV shows when I was a kid, you know, about trying to learn about how to make a hat look old. And, you know, they, they were using like needs foot oil. And have you ever seen James, Jimmy Stewart wearing a cowboy hat and the oil is like, it, it moves. If you put oil on your hat, it will move all the way up the front of the hat and all the way down. I mean, wow. the old Western shit, the oil is like moving all over your hat. Yeah. Full of dust. Uh, but, but I, I couldn't do that for, for a commercial hat. That's why the hat I did for you is like a hand colored hat. It takes a little over three and a half hours to do it. It's wow. a series of dots and swirls, washes and redoing it again and again to set that marbled look to a hat to make it look old because, you know, people aren't going to buy a grease looking hat. You know I mean? It, 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 number one, it wouldn't have been sanitary yeah. uh, to do that. So, um, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, basically, I mean, I got a chance to meet, I, I got a chance to meet uh, uh, Ben Johnson and my favorite movie he was in. was like the wild bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's his name. But I got a chance to meet some of the old or talk to some of the old wardrobe people. You know, I learned so much. I'll bet. Uh, 
we used to stake out black hats in my backyard. You know, it would be like a black hat. And you leave it out in the sun and weather for like four or five months to simulate, you know, what a cowboy hat would look like. And then turn all brindly brown in your black hat. And then we'd flip them over on the other side and let the sun take its effects on the hat being outside. Um, you know, we did a lot of crazy stuff uh, to try to figure out how to make the hat look really old and, and vintage. Well, another thing I love about your hats is not only the 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 design, but the look, the shape of them. I love how you shape them. Well, I, I think I've got like over 20 shapes, and everybody loves the Gus hat. Like the one you're wearing now, that shape, oh, it's my favorite shape. That that's uh, and I'll be bringing in this hat back again. I, I want to do um, people want simpler stuff on hats. I mean, I can do crazy, and I, I can, but your average person, you know, likes a nice domed hat band like I've got on there. The one I did the True Grit for you with the buffalo nickels on it. Um, Is that know, the one you're they, wearing? They want more about the hat in, in a simpler band. Yeah, which I doing for, for people. Is that the one you're wearing, the True Grit? Uh, no, this one is called the Old Ringo. Okay. So I named it after the style. Each band has its own name. Um, I did a hat called the Lonesome Charlie, and it's based on Lonesome Charlie Reynolds, who perished at the Little Bighorn. And people were so upset with me at the fact that I pulled it out of the line. So I will tell them now that eventually I will bring back the Lonesome Charlie again. You know, I mean, names matter. I, you know, I feel that's one reason that we, we had, that's another reason we had to have just had a connection of some kind before we knew it because you take a lot of pride in your work and all, you know, the names and you're not just going to duplicate a certain hat to the T for, for, you know, it's not, you're not commercializing the business to that level. I love that because it makes each one unique and it, it's, it's really a special thing. I mean, I'm honored. I've told you this before, but I am absolutely honored to have anything you ever made. I mean, you've sent me bracelets. You've sent me hats. I, I was just before the, yeah, I mean, I, you know, there wasn't really, uh, I, I just started to get back into the fur felt hats again. You're in a neck, Connection says unstable. Okay. Oh, you got me? Referring to me as being unstable. It may be, yeah. I'm a little unstable at times, but I think right now it's it's good. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're all one of a kind. When I hand color a hat, it's going to be different. Every hat is different. You know, the coloring will be slightly different. The shaping will be slightly different. There's nothing uniform about it. the last movie I ever worked on was, was a movie called Ironweed. And I remember it was like you were reading the script for this movie that you were doing the uh, music for. It's the first time in my entire life I actually read a script. They sent me the script. It was about a 1920s uh, man that was down on his luck. Uh, the the story's rather depressing, but... It, he, he was to ride the rails. He was a wrecked man. And I, I remember I went to the library and I started researching about, you know, hats hobos wore, what they looked like at the turn of the century. And, and uh, 
Meryl Streep was in it and Jack Nicholson was uh, in it. And, and the hats had to do for Jack Nicholson. Usually you have to make six of the same exact hat. I mean, they have to be exactly the same. And, you know, that isn't easy for me, you know, because I like to do one of a kind and go, what? Oh, I'm done. You know, yeah. so I had to make six exactly the same. So after, I mean, I worked on it for like two and a half, three weeks straight, uh, gray fedoras, hat bodies. I, I had to, the aging had to look the same in all of them. Mm. And uh, Joe Lisi says, Paul, I'm sorry, the sizes are wrong uh, for Jack Nicholson. I went, are you kidding? You know, I mean, I had to do them again. Now they, they paid me oh. for the but the second time it was agonizing. Oh, God. I did the first time, you know, and, you know, you figure if you're having a good day, you can get them done and they all look the same. But I had to do it again because uh, he gave me the, or either Jack Nicholson gave the wrong size or they messed up in the wardrobe department. Yeah. The only person that ever declined a hat for a movie uh, was uh, Steven Seagal. And I go, well, what, what does he know? It was for his spirit warrior. Something like that. There wasn't anything I could do that would satisfy him. Yeah. And I'm going, well, the movie's going to suck anyway. <laughs> make my day. Uh. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the, the last movie I worked on, the hats were given thumbs up, you know, that I did for him. But the movie didn't do all that. And, and doing wardrobe work, I mean, as much as you went through to write music, for, for, for that. I mean, it takes a lot of work, you know, read the script and, and understand the character and, uh, and put your feelings into that song about somebody else, you know, that you're writing about. Um, makes it, you know, it's probably a salesman. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it, it, it's hard to do that. You know, it, it's, uh, it's draining. Yeah, you know, it, it would be like somebody coming. You know, we're we're going to do this uh, uh, magnificent seven for the third time, and we want you to do the. Want you to do all the music, you know, and you're yeah. going what? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, I, but again, I truly appreciate everything you've done for me. Now, I proudly wear your your stuff all the time, and you're still making. All of it. Yeah. You're making bracelets and wallets and hats, right? Uh, yeah, I'm still doing that. I also do baseball caps, but I don't really talk about it. No. Nah, I'm going to get up from the screen. I'm going to show you a hat I made for myself uh, 25 years ago. So, oh, yeah. Here we go. This is a, uh, I call this hat the Sky King and Penny after. It's just, it's got an old English penny on it. Mm-hmm. You see the cap? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is what I did. And, and kind of this idea came, one of uh, Bobby Bear's uh, musicians wanted a New York Yankees cap with python skin on it. Hmm. Did. And uh, then I just, uh, this thing took off to the baseball cap thing. I'm going, whoa. You know, uh, I was uh, doing them for uh, like, well, Billy, Billy Martin, I was pretty good friends with him and his agent. And uh, I was doing like New York Yankee caps with python skin on them until I got notice from Major League Baseball saying I can't. And then 
Billy Martin's people said that I could. And I was like in the middle of someplace I didn't want to be. <laughs> and I, I, uh, so what I did is I, I, I actually did research on, on, uh, on royalty payments. And when you buy, if you go to the store and you buy a hat, like a major league hat or an NBA, you've already paid the royalties for that hat. Mm-hmm. It's been satisfied. Now, if you decide, hey, I think I want to put slap pigskin on it or whatever uh, you want to put on it, does that necessarily change uh, the hat? Uh, you're, you're changing the hat, but you're not changing the logo of, of the, uh, the hat itself. You're right. putting Python skin on it. And we found out that you can't collect double royalties. But the people at, at Major League Baseball said, do you have big, deep pockets? They said, no. <laughs> then don't push that storyline. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I even had a run-in with uh, uh, Lucas Films. You know, yeah. Playboy used to like to do stories about us. We'd be in, like, potpourri all the time. Uh, and, you know, like, Paul, you have a new product or something. And, you know, and I... And, and I would plead with them. I said, does there have to be, you know, women without clothes on it? I said, why can't we just do a product shot like everybody else gets? You know, he said, no, no problem. So um, what happens is, he said, we're going to make it look like Oz. You know, we're going to put like the hats on, on uh, corn stalks, you know, and I brought in the hats and, and I'm going well, this will be good. You know, at least it's going to be a product shot and it'll have nothing to do with what they do for a living. So (laughs) anyway, I'm waiting and waiting. And um, suddenly they changed the names on the hats and they called one of the fedoras that I did uh, Raiders hat on it. And I'm going, you're not supposed to be changing the names of these hats. They said, uh, you know, because I was afraid of like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right. people coming after me, which they did. Because mm. uh, apparently a lot of them read Playboy and obviously not for the editorial. <laughs> so, uh, and I was surprised at how many people actually, actually, you know, subscribe to some very famous people. And I'm not even going to mention names, uh, but uh, they put the Raiders hat on there. And I, I got a, a letter that I had assigned from, from uh, Lucas Films. And I had to explain to him that, you know, I didn't have anything to do with the change mm-hmm. of that. I, I mean, that was not its original name. I called it the Dillinger. And it would have been better for me if they had just left it. So, uh, yeah, I, I've locked horns with some pretty scary people <laughs> out there over the years. Uh, I, I, I didn't hire an attorney. I just went in there and, or rather I explained to them exactly, you know, I said, I don't believe that you have the rights to the word Raider. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they, when they got money, they, they got all sorts of rights, you know, you don't even know about. So yeah, I, I, I've had a few run-ins over the years, but the people obviously had to put a blonde haired girl in it. And I don't, I'm not even going to explain it, but the fact is, we were overwhelmed uh, with hat orders from that little potpourri thing. 
And, and that's what led to me doing hats for Ronald Reagan Secret Service people. And I did hats for Air Force One pilot and co-pilot and crew members. Mm. And I, I mean, it was like just unbelievable, uh, you know, how it all happened in the end. The other thing about being in business, it's all about luck. I would say I'm probably one of the luckiest people in the world because I'm always in the right place where I need to be. Yeah. Now, if you ask me today, I'll be 69 tomorrow. Am I in the right place at the right time now? I don't know. I, it, I've got one more chapter to write. But it, it's, uh, yeah, being lucky is, I mean, this is luck. I, I mean, I never would have met Snuff Garrett for word from John Robinson giving us uh, Snuff Garrett's business card. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So I would say that we were very lucky. You can be skilled, but if you don't have any luck, well, luck is I'm pretty superstitious about luck. Yeah. A lot of it is right place, right time. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's always been that way. Um, so, um, no, it's, it's been a fun journey for me. I mean, I, I've, uh, at least I've made a mark and I, and I kind of look at it this way. Just imagine the next crew that's on its way to Mars in the next two, three years. And, and it takes six months. I, I hear to get to Mars. And they've got that set from Smokey and the Bandit, the three-pack set. And on the front cover, that happened. Yeah. And, and, and if that happens, I will have reached the peak of what I've trying to accomplish all along. Now, if, if that happens. Because maybe in a, in a way, when people go, who made that hat? It makes it even more mysterious. Yeah. That's true. Can, can you... Is there a way you can point the camera up so we can see that hat up there? Sure. Yeah. And that this is was, the original uh, that was sent and signed. And that was on the LP cover of the second Smoking the Bandit soundtrack record, right? I mean, yes. it's where it originated from, and now it's on the three-pack set and everything. Yeah, everybody keeps going. Um, well, uh, ironically, uh, I did try to get the license to do – a line of smoking bandit hats, but I lost out to Stetson. So obviously I've always had an ax to grind with Stetson and it wasn't even their hat, the original hat that he wore, Burt Reynolds in the first and the second hat wasn't even a Stetson. Yeah. But I did to get the license. I was going to ask how come he didn't wear it in the movie? Um, well, primarily snuff Garrett was a music producer and it was really all about the, the LP cover. So it, it wasn't going to be in the movie. It was two separate entities. Separate. Okay. But it wound up becoming important because people go, I, I saw it in the movie. I got, no, he didn't see it. Right. <laughs> he never wore it in the movie. <laughs> it was on the LP cover. Yeah. And I was always bummed out that I never got the record for this. You know, I mean, I got the paper, but no record. You know, and I'm going, you know, I mean, they could have at least sent me the record and not make me have to go out and buy it. You know? Yeah. But, but I, I do have that. That's That came uh, rolled up in a tube when we got it afterwards. You know, and I, I was a little nervous, too, because we didn't have any time. And uh, and, uh, and we had to get the box out, you know, like right away, sent out express mail. 
And, you know, and I'm always a little hesitant when people go, yeah, I'm a seven and a quarter. Well, are you? For sure a seven and a quarter. Maybe you're like in between a quarter and a seven and three eighths. So um, there was a lot of pressure. I didn't sleep until that hat got there. Mm. You know, it had a fit too, you know, and he, and he did like it, you know, so, I mean, he, he loved it. So and I was going, whoa, whew. my work is done. Yeah. You know, Nothing but, better than that feeling probably. I get, I would say getting the hat there because they were holding up production of the record until that hat showed up. <laughs> right. So I was a little under pressure. We Man. all were at Cripple Creek to, to make sure we got that hat up where it needed to get to so yeah it was scary uh getting that done and that was hand colored that they had kind of a gold color on it and he wanted a specific shape uh too and you know when, when you do hats uh you try to do a brim roll or something that you know complements your facial features yeah uh, you know it's uh they didn't always achieve that in early black and white cowboy movies but you know for the most part they did a a fairly good job of it. So, uh, yeah, we were under a little bit of pressure to, to do that and get that done uh, at that time. But uh, I haven't been under, I haven't had that kind of pressure for a long, rather long time. Long, long time. H- have you ever met Ray Benson? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's really nice, too. Yeah, I love him, man. There's some talented people. Sleep at the wheel. He did a song... I had it on a track. <laughs> it was called uh, this song, Texas, You and Me. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like, I think that's the title, Texas, You and Me. It was a really beautiful song. Not a lot of lyrics, but it was beautifully uh, done. It's, it sounded like it could have been for the tourist industry. Come visit Texas. Yeah. They've got that down. And the time jumpers, have you heard the time jumpers? Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the time jumpers is Vince Gill, Paul Franklin, um, Ranger Doug from Riders in the Sky. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, it's it's just a bunch of legendary musicians. They get together and they play old Bob Wills stuff and Haggard stuff, but it's not like you know, it's like Roots of My Raisin and stuff like that. They play. They don't play Rambling Fever and think I'll stay here and drink and all that. They're amazing. They used to play every Monday night uh, at Third and Lindsley in Nashville and just sell the place out. You know, Vince Gill don't do any of his songs. Uh, it's just all cover stuff. It's amazing. They've got like three fiddles. Uh, you, If you're ever in Nashville, you got to check that out on a Monday night. Well, my girlfriend, we were driving through Nashville and uh, we were, we had talked about going to the country music hall of fame. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't want to go because, you know, to go check the hat out mm-hmm. because it was based more on the theory that I've already, I made the hat. I don't really need to see that. Now I, you know, I mean, it's not, yeah. Um, and people have sent me pictures of the hat shot through the plexiglass and everything, but you know, I, I, I just didn't want to go take a look at something that I had already made. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, going to see, a, you know, P.T. Barnum's Elephants or something. Yeah. You know, it just, you know, but uh, 
Yeah, I, I would like to go back to Nashville. I haven't been there for a while. Uh, been trying to get an account in Nashville. Uh, uh, and, and I thought I had one up until the coronavirus and that kind of like wound down. Now, by the way, if people want to buy my hats yeah. uh, in stores that I sell brick and mortar, these people go back a long ways with me. Uh, but there's uh, one store called the Cowboy Corral in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, they bought hats for me for almost 20 years. And then I have another uh, store in Santa Fe, which is my favorite town, uh, New Mexico, uh, called Ripple and Company. So those are the only two outlets uh, that I sell my cowboy hats. So if you want to see a lot of them, that's where you go. Otherwise, you, they can deal with me as well. And they do that. And they, so, they can go to your website too, right? And, you know, I, I do, I, I have, have always offered musicians a discount. They need to talk to me uh, about that. And, and I have to tell you, Willie sent me a lot of studio musicians mm-hmm. over the years, uh, early on. Uh, so, I mean, Willie was a, you know, he was a main driver. You know, and, and when people would see the picture with Willie wearing the hat, they'd go, I want a hat just like Willie. Yeah. But I, I keep telling him, but no, I want you to get a hat for you. Yeah. You're a rock star. Yeah, let me make you something, you know. But I, I would say that Willie probably was the main driver of people because everybody loved his music. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, I would say he was probably the major force behind uh you know uh hat sales for for everybody literally but the problem willie had is you know he'd wear a hat on stage and people would throw another hat up there and throw it in the audience and yeah you know, uh i i heard one of the hats had a short life it, it didn't last long <laughs> so yeah that that was not a good thing it, so. yeah i bet he remembers every one of them though you know. Well, I did one in particular that was a hand-woven uh, jute hat with a uh, – we had a Scrimshaw guy that I, I worked with for many, many years, and he did this cowboy on the front of it. And when we finally do get together, I'll bring my scrapbooks. And, oh, and that way you can kind of see yeah. uh, stuff that I've done. I, I remember one time uh, we did a hat with an armadillo on it. I, it was an open crown uh really old looking uh, 10 gallon type hat. And I figured out a way to mount the armadillo's face and the feet, in the front and the back and the tail behind. And it was an art piece. Wow. I mean, it wasn't an inexpensive hat. Wow. And uh, I had sent it off to a friend of mine in Aspen, Colorado that carried my hats from the very beginning. Uh, Fast Eddie's at the time. He's, he's, he's it's no longer there, but uh, Larry Hagman was in the store, and uh, Eddie said he would like that hat, and uh, you know he might even wear it on Dallas. And I'm going, uh, said Eddie, he's not going to wear that hat, okay? And I'm not giving him that. <laughs> if you want to give it to him, you're still going to owe me the money. <laughs> but I'm not giving him that hat. Yeah. He's not wearing it on Dallas, so just forget. It. You know, it's not going to be a boom for me. It's just not going to not going to happen. So uh, that was, yeah. It 
And, and sometime it was better not to know everybody that you're, you're doing business with because sometimes you can get disappointed yeah. uh, by, by somebody. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know Kenny Rogers at all. Uh, but I remember we did the one Western show and my kids wanted his autograph. That's all I talked about on the drive from Illinois out to the show. And so anyway, he's touring around because Kenny Rogers had a line of Western boots and hats and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went, went right by my kids. My kids were like completely, you know, just. So I walked up to his agent and he said, well, everybody wants a piece of Kenny. I'm going, my kids just wanted a signature. They wanted a piece of Kenny. Yeah. So I mean, it was just like. You know, those are the kind of moments, you know, that can kind of like, you go, ah, 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 even though I do like his music, don't get me wrong. But it was, it was, you know, those sort of things sometimes that, uh, yeah. you know, wow. And that's, so, sadly, that's pretty typical for these big shot agents that think they're really something, you know. It's almost like they, some of these guys think they're the one that's you being, you know, like they're trying to act like the star. If you'd have saw Kenny back there, he probably nine times out of ten he would have said, "Oh yeah, sure. What's your name? You know, son." Yeah, he was a very nice man. I mean, but the the uh, his agent was like just. Uh, but I've I've taken that agent's line and I have plagiarized the usage of everybody wants a piece of Paulie. <laughs> again the last laugh thing comes in <laughs> so I, I use that line all the time because i was like taken so far back you know when it was said to me i'm going wow <laughs> okay well man again i i really appreciate you know you coming on here and uh good to talk to you and and tell tell everybody what your website is they want to go on there and okay. see what you got. The website uh, www.cripplecreekheadwear.com. Or uh, they can reach out to me by email um, at cripplecreekhats at aol.com. I consider you like a brother. And if I could do anything for you, I mean, I, I have put your picture wearing the hat on my, my Facebook. And, you know, I'm not really tech savvy. I mean, I have somebody else managing my Facebook. And then he'll send me, you know, this person wants to know what you think about this. Or, or do you remember doing a hat for me or an engagement hat like 40 years ago? And, you know, you get the picture. And, uh, but, uh, you know, anything I can do to, and I do, you know, to help promote uh, your music. I, I think you're a very talented artist. I, and God only knows I've met a lot of them over you're a great talent and uh and you will go far i know you will uh appreciate you saying that i do you know so um and the other thing what i cherish most is your christmas card to me (laughs) you're the first nobody you're the first that i ever got a christmas card i was like thrilled by this christmas card i'm glad you glad you liked that and, and your wife's Dana yeah. said, yeah, I mean, it was, it was from you tell, tell her I was like overwhelmed by all that. I, I really sure was. will. 